Welcome to the Body Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Kiara. You can expect new episodes each Wednesday that are educational, inspiring, and honest surrounding various women's health topics, spirituality, and so much more. The Body Wisdom Podcast was brought to life by integrating the physical and emotional body to deepen one's healing journey. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Body Wisdom Podcast. You guys, I'm so excited for today's episode because, oh my God, I just feel like you guys are in for such a treat. We are diving deep into the womb. I have Carly Ray here to share her thoughts on all things womb related. So Carly, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm I'm really stoked to have this conversation and dive in with you. Yeah, me too. I just... I can't remember how I found you, to be honest, but I was just like looking at your posts and then I, I found Nectar. I was like, I think I need to do this. And I'm so fucking glad that, that I did. Like three hours worth of just solid gold. Like I've never, ever experienced anything like that. Uh, I tell all of my clients, I'm like, you have to do this. You have to do this. Um, so yeah. How did you land in this space? Like what led you to this work? Well, I've been a massage therapist since I was 18 years old. So for 16 years now, yeah, it's been a really, really long time. And what got me into doing the women's work was healing my own body. Um, I've had a few abortions and extremely painful periods my whole life. Um, So that led me down this path of being like, you know, something's wrong here. I need to investigate this. But also when I was 24 years old, I went to Africa and I was doing, uh, I was lived at an orphanage and I was doing physical therapy and massage therapy with the babies that had severe cerebral palsy and all this kind of stuff. And uh, that trip to Africa blew my whole world open. And I had my first abortion when I was 20 years old and I was deep in drug addiction at the time. And the doctor that tended to me through that abortion was this like 80 year old man. He'd been a doctor for pretty much his whole life, you know, and he was so kind and caring and non-judgmental. And he's like, this is your bodily right. And it really impacted me the way he cared for me through that experience. So jumped to Africa when I was living in Africa I became quite good friends with one of the local doctors in the village that I was living with and one day I went to the local I went to um, his uh, clinic with some of the babies that were sick and there was a girl lying on the ground outside and she looked like she was dying and I asked him what's what's going on and she tried to give herself an abortion with a broomstick and that and that floored me yeah. Wow. Abortion is not legal in uh, most African countries. And I just couldn't imagine what it would be like to be in a position that I would have to do something like that to myself. And that just lit this fire inside of me. And ever since that trip, my whole world has shifted and revolves around women's bodies, women's health, womb health, pregnancy, birth, and women's rights, really, um, bodily rights. 
And uh, yeah, so since then, it's been diving into full spectrum birth work, womb work, and really blending it all in the body work that I do. Pelvic work, hands-on, hands-in pelvic work, and just uh, really teaching and learning as much as I can about the way that we are, the, the care that we deserve to have. Like, it blows my mind that I had to travel the world to learn all this stuff about my body. You know, it shouldn't be that way. We should be being taught this in school. We should be being taught how to have a relationship with our bodies in school and how to tend for ourselves to ourselves and be in connection with our cyclical nature and all this kind of stuff. So that's, yeah, that, that really, my abortions and witnessing that in Africa was like what put me on this path. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, I was just thinking about this yesterday. I was like, why aren't we teaching kids how to breathe in school? Like, yeah. why aren't we like doing any nervous system like related activities? Why aren't we, yeah, learning about like more than what health class teaches us today, which is basically to just not have sex. Exactly. <laughs> like how dangerous and scary it is and how shameful. I'm just, I'm still like peeling back those layers there because there's that religious programming. There's, um, societal, cultural, like programming, like everything has just, yeah, suppressed this part of us. And some people are, are still, and I'm, I'm still coming out of this, like having conversations about sex, yeah. like, you know, yeah. simple as that, but it's, it's such a, a taboo topic to talk about. So how, how do you make other, not make others, like, I guess, invite others to have this conversation? Why is it not shameful? How are we beginning to rebuild that that connection with with our wombs? Her totally. Well, I I I never imagined <laughs> that the work that I am doing today would be the work that I'm doing. Like I was not this brazen out there woman that like I held so much shame about my body and like just like saying the word vagina was very uncomfortable for me. You know, many years ago. Um. And it really comes down to people get to, like, I got to a place where I was so sick of my own bullshit, where I was so sick of feeling caged in by my own shame, by societal's conditioning and shame and all this stuff that they put on me and told me how I had to feel that I just started having the conversations. And it's, it's an ex, it's a muscle that you have to exercise. You know, the more you build that muscle, the more comfortable it becomes. And now, like, I can talk about, putting your finger in your ass to, you know, work with your nervous system. And it's really no big deal to me. It's so normal. And I'll have that conversation in public at a restaurant. People can hear me and I really don't like, there's no activation in my body when I talk about it because it does, it needs to be normalized and there should be zero taboo around any of these topics around vaginal health, vulva health, anal health, around abortions, birth, you name it. Um, yeah, and to me, it's like having these conversations with everybody, with men, with women, with however you identify um, with your children and not shaming your children for their sexuality, all children's self-pleasure. And for the most part, our generation, yours and mine's generation, we were shamed for that as children. And then that just builds in our psyche and in our bodies. And, uh, yeah, it really starts, the conversations need to start at home, right? Like so many women are having shitty sex lives because they're not willing to have these conversations 
And that's 100% the onus is on the woman to have these conversations about how do you want to be touched? Do you even know how you want to be touched? Right? Most women don't know because they've never even touched themselves. I had a client message me this morning. She has four children. She has never touched herself. Wow. Yeah. And like, this is common. So common. Because it's, as a little child, you were told that it's dirty, it's shameful, and it's not for you. And that is all conditioning from our uh, colonizer culture that we come from, that women's bodies are not their own, that women's bodies are for men, and men only, and men's pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that thread just runs so deep. Absolutely. Yeah. I was speaking to someone the other day, and she was like, so many women don't know what their vaginas look like, but they have partners that know exactly what it looks like, maybe, but their gynecologists know what it looks like, but they don't. Have no like, clue. No clue. Wow, wow, wow. So, okay, I want to back up a little bit yep. about abortions. What, so even if we do have like a safe procedure in like a medical intervention with abortions, what happens there? Like what what happens like in the womb? What could be left behind? Is there scarring? Well, it depends on the kind of abortion that a woman has. So there is the surgical abortion where they go in and they either do a DNC, which is a dilation and cutterage, where they scrape the inside of the uterus, or a DNE, where they dilate the cervix and then do like a vacuum extraction. Um, or there is um, the medical, which is the um, pills. Um, so I am more of a fan of doing the pills rather than the surgical, um, uh, approach to abortion because yeah, the, um, mifeprostol and mifepristone that you're taking is having an effect on your liver and that kind of thing. But like it has an systemic effect on the body, but it doesn't leave scar tissue. Like a surgical abortion can leave scar tissue in the uterine wall. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of doctors are not very uh, gentle when they do a surgical abortion. So it's it's a ve- it can be a very rough procedure. They inject uh, numbing. Um, I don't know what they use, but they inject some kind of numbing numbing component into the cervix. They clamp down on the cervix. They pull it down into the vaginal canal. Insert their tools. You know. So it's, it's quite an intensive experience and it doesn't need to be that way. If, if women are tracking their cycles on top of things, you know, like pregnancies happen. My second pregnancy, I got pregnant with an IUD and I'd had that IUD for two years and it worked. So, you know, these, I am a hundred percent a believer that these things come into our lives to teach us what we need to learn. And I would not be doing the work that I'm doing today if I haven't had the abortions that I've had. Um, But that being said, the more we know our bodies, the more we track our bodies, the earlier we're going to know that we're pregnant. So typically, if you want a surgical abortion, you have to wait until you're at least eight weeks pregnant. Whereas with the pill option, you can take that as soon as you find out. And it can be a lot uh, gentler process if you treat it with a lot of reverence and patience. Like it can take time, but you could do steaming, you know, and you can yeah, and really honor the experience that you're going through. Like abortion does not need to be this super 
painful, heartbreaking, like it can be, but it doesn't need to be. We've been conditioned to think that women are horrible fucking humans for having abortions when really women have been having abortions since the eon, since the time that humans came along, right? It's been a part of our menstrual care and pregnancy control forever, forever. And it just got demonized by the church. Yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. Yeah. So, so yeah, you can have scar tissue left behind from, you know, if you do a surgical one. Um, but to me, it's like women just need to remember how we used to care for ourselves 200 years ago. Yeah. So much of our shame would not bodily shame, menstrual shame, sexual shame would not exist if we remembered where we came from. Mm. Yeah, that's deep. It really runs deep. And like when, when women actually become aware of that, it just, it all clicks because it really is all connected. So as far, that's like the physical piece of it. What about the emotional aspect of it? If, okay, let's maybe, because you just said it doesn't have to be emotional, but what if the procedure itself causes like an emotional reaction? Like if they're doing like all the tools and everything, what, what is required? Cause I know there's, there's a lot, but, um, like, I guess just to start to unpack that, um, the pelvic anatomy and like the breath, like all these things, what are some things that someone can maybe start incorporating if that is the case? Yeah. So if like, I dream of a world where a woman knows she's pregnant and she's like, I do not want to carry through with this pregnancy. And it's like, can we reframe that, you not wanting to carry on with this pregnancy isn't you doing something, a horrible act. It's you saying yes to the life that you want to live. And like, I have so much respect for women being like, I cannot support a child right now, you know? And that reframe of being like, I'm saying yes to my, my health, to, to the dreams that I have for myself rather than becoming a mother because I'm being shamed or guilted into it you know? So it's a huge mental rewiring. Absolutely. And I think that that shame and guilt alone could pass along to your baby and just like the pregnancy and how that goes. Like percent. Absolutely. So there's that aspect of it. It's like, what did you say yes to in your life when you chose to have this abortion? Right. And that's a practice that I give women when I'm working with them that they've had abortion. It's like, what did you say yes to? When I had my abortions, I said yes to to going to school and doing all the things that I wanted to do because that was so much more important to me. Right. And there's this great book called Happy Abortions. And it it's just such a beautiful reframe of being like, yeah, I chose me in this moment. And how many times do women not choose themselves? They martyr their how many women have martyred their whole lives for every everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that aspect of it. And then there's the aspect of ritualizing and going into ceremony with this pregnancy release, right? And honoring what this, what this you know, if you want to, what this instance has brought to teach you, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, so doing like a practice of, honoring the tissue that you've released and maybe burying it or doing some kind of fire ceremony with it, doing steaming practices, having your nutrition really on point while you're going through this release so that you are a postpartum person after 
you've had a pregnancy release, whether that pregnancy release was an abortion or a miscarriage or full-term birth, doesn't matter, your postpartum. So really setting yourself up so that you can be taken care of through this process and so that this process is done with a lot of awareness and intention rather than just like bypassing yourself, bypassing your emotions, bypassing the experience through it, like really slowing everything down and being like, I'm going to steam every single day before I take the mifeprostone and every day before I take the mifeprostol, you know, the, the medications that help the release. And I'm going to take parsley and I'm going to take all these other herbs that can support my journey on this. And I'm going to journal about what I'm experiencing. And maybe I'm going to have a friend who's going to doula me and be with me while this tissue is being released. And then instead of taking this tissue and pouring it down the toilet, I'm going to do something really special with it. Mm. You know? So beautiful. Yeah. yeah. But that's how we did it 200 years ago. When women were in red tents, you would have had a midwife with you through every step of this journey. And you would have been tended to like a postpartum woman after this release. And that is what women need. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I also think that there's not enough education around the pelvic anatomy. And I love how you kind of went into this in, in Nectar. Um, I mean, is it just all the textbooks? They just have it wrong? Incorrect. hundred <laughs> percent. Drives me nuts. Yeah. It's mostly men that have studied anatomy okay. and written all these books. So they don't have the lived experience of being in a woman's body and knowing a woman's anatomy. And the amount of people, like, I love the Instagram page, the Vulva Gallery. She's an artist that draw, draws vulvas. But she, or I, I believe they identify as they, actually. Um, their pelvic anatomy, again, is incorrect. And so many of these people that are drawing and teaching have actually have not done the hands-on work. Like you have to touch bodies and see bodies to actually know bodies. And that's my biggest problem. It's like, you can teach all this kind of stuff, but do you actually have that hands-on physical lived experience of a vast, like a lot of different people's bodies? Mm -hmm. And so people don't, you know? Like, I, I really have a lot of issue with the amount of, like, sexuality and womb coaches that there are out there that have no experience. <laughs> yeah. So, so how – okay. So I, I want to take a step back. I work with a lot of clients who have digestive issues and hormonal imbalances, and looking at the pelvic bowl just seems so separate from all of that. But – I want to talk about the idea of this retroverted uterus. Like, yeah. What does that even look like? What does that feel like? How is that possible? Can it be fixed? How is it possible? <clears throat> well, so what is it? The retroverted uterus is when the uterus descends back in the pelvic bowl. The uterus mm-hmm. should float in the front center front of the pelvic bowl above the bladder, but it can start to tilt backwards and can totally fall backwards on the rectum and compress the sacrum and the tailbone. What does that feel like in the body? That can feel like a lot of heaviness or, or cramping or pressure in one's anus. That can feel like a, a lot of low back pain, tailbone pain, or pain down your legs at menstruation. It can look like constipation or long, thin pencil-like stools right at menstruation or right before menstruation, that kind of thing. 
um, <clears throat> or just cr menstrual cramping, especially if you feel a lot of your menstrual cramping in like your bum or your low back in that area. So what causes that? My one mentor, Rosita Arvigo, if a child ever fell on their tailbone, she would close her whole practice just to work on that child's tailbone because our organs, all of our organs move. So if you have a really hard fall, you can totally throw your uterus completely out of alignment. If you get into a car accident or some kind of accident where you experience whiplash, your organs are all moving and your uterus is moving in that. So I've had a lot of clients be like, I got in a car accident. Now my periods are horrible. I'm like, yeah, because your uterus isn't locked in there, stable with like, you know, bone. She's held in place by ligaments and tendons that are mobile and move. Wow. That just makes me think of me. I was trying to rollerblade, learn how to rollerblade this summer, this past summer. And I had the hardest fall on my, on my tailbone, literally. And someone warned me because I was like sharing, I was going to go try to rollerblade. And they were like, I had a really hard fall and it was horrible. And so it's just, what? We really underestimate taking care of our tailbone. Yeah. How do you do that? The way we sit <clears throat> is everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everybody collapses in and tucks their tail under and literally sits on their tailbone and their sacrum and that's sitting on your spine and that's sitting on your whole nervous system and creating this pull and line of tension throughout your whole spinal cord which is not meant to be there I know a radiologist who has been a radiologist for like a really long time and he thought that people's tailbones disappeared after a certain age because they wouldn't show up on x-rays. Tailbones wouldn't show up on x-rays anymore because people's tailbones were so tucked in and scar tissued adhered in that the bone was like covered in adhesion. Mm. And it's not supposed to be that way at all. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Ever since our workshop, I've been really focusing on, even though I'm just like, I, I was slouching it's just a moment ago. I am focusing on sitting. I actually just ordered an exercise ball Great. for your recommendation. I was like, I need this. But I do have a standing desk too. So I'm like trying to just be more mindful of that as well and, and walking outside, even though the elements are so cold. Like it's, it's snowing right now, but like that doesn't matter, right? Because like we were meant to move. And so many of us are just hankering down in front of our computers, our phones, and on the couch and just living these really sedentary lifestyles that are also causing um, like tension within the pelvic bowl. Right? Yeah, our sedentary lifestyles are another aspect of that retroverted uterus and a, and a pelvic bowl that is so hypertonic, which is so tight and stuck. And when any tissue in the body is hypertonic, dehydrated, immobile, stuck, we are reducing blood flow, lymph flow, nerve function, and energetic flow through that tissue. And it's it's, it's essentially like we're living with, you know, when you have a, a hairband around your wrist that is too tight, your hand starts to go numb and loses blood and it starts to get painful. That is literally what our pelvic bowl is like. And the organs that live within our pelvic bowl are surrounded and by all this tension and compression and they're being suffocated by not getting enough blood flow, lymph flow, nerve communication and energetic flow. And vaginismus is like kind of a result of, or it is like a hypertonic pelvic yeah, bowl. Vaginismus is a hypertonic pelvic bowl a uh, hymenal ring, vaginal opening. Okay. 
Yeah, I was, uh, I, I'm working with someone and she doesn't mind that I'm sharing this. I'm sharing this anonymously, but she had um, this diagnosis and at the OBGYN's office, she was asked, have you ever been sexually abused? And she thought it was a no, but as soon as she was asked that question, all of these memories came flooding back. And so I love how in the practice that you, you facilitated in Nectar, like all of these memories, all of these like just old, old like emotions can certainly just come flooding out. Like it doesn't always have to happen. Right. But it can. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh, you need to take Carly's workshop for sure. It's such a beautiful practice. And it's, it's this, it's a practice of coming back into trust with our bodies because even though we may not have thought we've broken trust with our bodies, we have continually over our lives by having sex when we really haven't wanted, we really have not wanted to have sex. Every time we do that, it's a break of trust. So what I teach women, the way I teach them to touch themselves and come back into relationship with their bodies, it's regaining and rebuilding that trust between your, your, yourself and your body's consciousness so that your body starts to trust you and starts to bring all this stuff that needs to be healed to the surface. So some women, it might, you know, be a flood of memories that boom, come because they're really ready. And some women, it might take a whole year for things to start to trickle out and come to the surface, you know? Yeah. I'm uh, really loving this idea of trust because I think so many of the women, and this was me included like a few years back, like just complete and utter distrust with my body, like having to outsource everything, not trusting my body's feedback, not tuning in and really listening to her. And like, so I think a lot of people are in this position because we, yeah, we have been, been so far removed. And then there's also like the abundance of like health information and, and shit like that online where it's like, I don't even know which totally. way to go. Like it's, it's overwhelming for our system. So like, yeah, this idea of trust is, is so important. And I certainly am still on that journey and like just learning to trust my words and trusting, um, my inner guidance and, you know, know that I'm being led in the right direction. And I think the body just holds, hence the body wisdom podcast, like it, it holds so much wisdom. And I think tapping into our pelvic bowls, like that is, I love when you talk about like the, this being our center, like mm-hmm. center of, of life itself, like creativity. Um, so yeah. Can you just like expand a little bit more on building that relationship with her and like yeah. why this is so important and, and especially with the the generational piece too like for everything else to come after us totally um it's our bodies have not evolved to the state that our world is in now we are not meant to be living in cities on grids disconnected from the land in nuclear families the nuclear family is a construct of industrialization right and our bodies are not um created for that we are meant to be living in community on land away from electricity and all this stuff so it is it is it is challenging to know what to trust when you know we're being told to live this way but our body's like i'm meant to live like i was living 200 years ago yeah right so it can be very very confusing and that is why i am like i am a hundred percent believer in women's traditional wisdom 
wise women ways, ancestral eating, the more we start doing these traditional things, the way that we used to live 200 years ago before the industrial revolution, the more our body starts to remember what it was like to live that way. And the more our body starts to open up and we can start to really listen and, and trust the communication that's coming through our body, right? Um, so to me, it's all about coming to back to this lifestyle and way of being that supports our true nature, our animalistic, wise woman nature. Our, our true nature isn't about getting fucking manicures and pedicures and, you know, shopping all the fucking time. Thank you. Yes right? Like that's a bunch of bullshit. Mm -hmm. And that is a way of living that is slowly killing women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can already hear like some voices in my head uh, from other people like, but we don't live 200 years ago. We're living 200 years later. So why should we go back to living that way? (laughs) Totally. 100%. It's like, well, you know, everybody has, this is the realm of free will. You all have a choice. It's like, do you want to live in a way where your body is like so nourished and happy and you're having like really beautiful, amazing sex and you just feel good in your body? Or do you want to live in a way where you're covered in toxins all the time? You're consuming toxic food, poisonous water. You feel like you're slowly dying from the inside out. Your uterus is growing fibroids, polyps, cysts. All of these things are not normal. They're common. Common and normal are not the same thing. And it is a choice to live in the rat race. That's just the reality of it. You can choose to live in the rat race and, you know, cover your body in toxins, or you can choose to opt out of that. And it's like, what do you want? Yeah, I'm with you. I cannot wait to just live away from all of the cell towers. and. Exactly. The- the high traffic populated areas and the, yeah, just having land and living off my land. Like that is, that is for sure the goal. I'm assuming you do that. Getting there. Getting there. I'm living in a camper cool. right now looking for land. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So awesome. Can you um, share a little bit about what your day looks like? I feel like I just always see you like on hikes and like moving and I'm like, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I live in a camper right now. So my life is so, so simple and very, um, very, very basic. I wake up, I have my lemon apple cider vinegar water. Um, I take my dogs out for a little walk. I come back in, I have my breakfast of eggs and liver and a raw carrot and, you know, butter and all that jazz. And then I go for an hour walk through the forest with my dogs And then I come home and I do a couple hours of computer work. I make lunch. I go back out for another hour walk through the forest with my dogs. I come back. I, you know, do more computer work or laundry, whatever it needs to get done. And I cook supper. And it's like a very simple life. Even the way I'm eating is just so simple because I live on a camper and I don't have room for a ton of stuff. Um, but I spend three, three to four hours a day outside. That is a non-negotiable for me. No matter what, like if something has to take a back seat, being outside and walking for three hours a day is number one priority. Yeah. I just did that before we, we got on this call. I was like, I need to go outside now that I'm like incorporating that more and more into my life. 
you can notice like what happens in your body when you don't go out and do that. And I'm just like, we yeah. are not meant to sit inside all the time, even when it's cold out. Like I was home in Saskatchewan in the um, prairies of Canada over Christmas and it was minus 40 Celsius, which I don't know what that is for you guys, but very, very cold, yeah. very cold. And again, it's a non-negotiable. I don't care how cold it is. I don't care if it's raining. I have to be outside. Our animal body is designed to be in nature and you will never thrive. You can take all the su supplements you want in the world and like do all the body work <clears throat> that you want. If you are sitting inside 24 seven, none of it matters. I couldn't agree with you more. And then that also probably has a really positive impact on the way you sleep, which is like another non-negotiable too. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's a part of this trust piece of coming back into and developing a deep relationship of trust with our bodies is developing a deep relationship of trust with nature. We come from nature. We all go back to nature. If you don't have a relationship with nature, how do you expect to have a relationship with your body? Your body is nature. There is no disconnection. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. You have been mentioning um, the animal body mm -hmm. and connecting this to nature too. Where did this concept come from? This is a new term for me. Mm. I just want to learn more about it. Where did this concept come from? I probably first started touching into the animal body from my teacher, Liz Cock. She wrote The Wild Soas. She's a brilliant, absolutely brilliant human, brilliant teacher. And humans are mammals. That is the, you know, that is the truth of it. We are mammals. But we have so, we have disconnected ourselves from our animalistic nature, from our natural, um, our inherent natural animalistic nature, because it's not, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's because we don't want to be savage. We don't want to be wild, feral, you know, we all want to be prim and proper and polite. And, and it's, it's a part of what has happened to humans through colonization, right? Um, especially if you look at like one of my favorite ways of looking at somatics and the body is through dancing. If you look at white people dancing compared to black people dancing, black people's bodies move and they have so much more rhythm than white, white people's bodies. And it's because we have been so trained out of that way of being in our body because it doesn't look good, mm. you know? And like allowing this really feral part of ourselves to come back online, it's t going out of our neocortex and back into our reptilian brain, which have you, do you have children? No. No. When we give birth, we cannot be in our neocortex in the front of our brain. You shut down every process of birth. You have to go into that savage, that reptilian, that deep part of your brain to give birth. Giving birth is the most primal animalistic thing the human body can do. And it has been trained out of women. Mm, yes. Lie um, on your fucking back. Be quiet. Don't say a thing. Don't move your body. Just lay there and be a good little girl. Yeah. 
right? So many women are afraid of giving birth. They're afraid of making sounds. Afraid of making sounds. Of moving their bodies. And then we wonder why our lives are so lackluster and our sex is so lackluster. And it's like, you got to let that animal out, Mm. you know? I love this. Oh, so much juicy stuff. Okay. So going back to the dance piece, and I do want to touch on birth too, because uh, there's a good bit of my audience who is trying to conceive or they have conceived and they're in their postpartum period. Um, Dance is something that I've been touching on recently. And I've gotten a few messages. It's like, how do you feel so, so comfortable in your body? Like how do I even begin like starting to, to dance and white women too, like are the ones who are reaching out and it's just like, how? And I'm like, well, I'm Hispanic. So I have this background, this long lineage of, I mean, our roots go deep, you know, in Central and South America. And, um, I grew up around dance. I was invited to dance. Um, but there was a point in my own healing where I was so disconnected from my body because I was so sick and I had digestive issues galore. And I just felt so not confident to dance. And then all of that was, is a really long story, but long story short, I decided to just surrender and I just started to get into my body and kind of ignore all the health information for a little bit Mm -hmm. and just tap into things that that felt good. And then that's kind of how I started to get back into things. But yeah, dance just feels like so important. Yeah. It is an expression of our souls. Yeah. And it feeds our bodies so, so deeply. That is what one reason why when you when we look at colonization and what has happened to traditional indigenous cultures, their traditions have been stripped from them by colonizers. Dance is a huge part of a lot of indigenous cultures, traditions, right? And it's like we look at all these things that have been stripped and, and told that is wrong and um, that you cannot do it because it has so much power in it right um and i'm just such i'm i'm not a trained dancer i'm not a good dancer but when you allow your body to tap into like this um ecstatic rhythm with whatever kind of movement that you're doing the power that can move from that is just so huge Mm you know and uh there's just so much fear and again this shame piece in held in women's bodies to move their hips because they've been told that it's bad and wrong and dirty and they shouldn't do it. And like, I just get women to just start doing hip circles and like, it can be so clunky and awkward (laughs) sometimes when women start doing it because it has become such a foreign thing to learn how to move our bodies in this more animalistic spiralic way. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like on a, on a bit more of a, energetic esoteric level the spiral the movement of a spiral is such a healing form of energy movement in the female body that just in doing these daily circles with your body shifts a lot and moves a lot Mm-hmm. I was just going to mention that about like the emotional release piece because yeah I was definitely feeling some type of way this morning, super tender. And I was like, I need to move my body, make sound, breathe. And it really wasn't like a dance, but it was just like lots of just movement and just being on the ground. And 
I cried. I cried. Like you would probably wouldn't be able to tell. I, I cried um, earlier today and it was like a big cry and it felt so, so good. But I couldn't do that if I were just sitting here numbing. Like I needed to create that space, create that safety. Exactly. And go in. Um, I love that so much. It's, it's yeah, and it's, it's inviting a different form of energy movement within the body so that other things, because if we're always moving linearly in one straight line, then we are keeping ourselves locked in this linear box. Yeah. Right? And when we open up to other forms and ways of being in a nonlinear way, in a more feminine way, things can start to shift and move. The female body has been trained out of its feminine patterns. Yes. Easily. I love that you're mentioning this with the rise of like feminism and stuff. Can we can we touch on this and how that kind of also is like suppressing the innate wisdom that we have within us as women? Um, sure. So my view on feminism, feminism is just a very it's it's really not feminine. <laughs> yeah. It has gotten a lot of rights, but it has kept us locked in this patriarchal masculine way of being in the world where women are our creation energy. We are nonlinear. We are ecstatic. We are we are the everything, the feminine being. And um, yeah, it's it's everything that has been deemed bad and wrong and demonized in this world is what the feminine body is bleeding fertile sexual soft open slow tender maybe angry and rageful as well everything that the female body can experience we've been told is wrong right and like even when it comes comes to feminism it's like i really don't like feminine feminism has um, gave us a lot of rights, but that's all it's done for us. It hasn't served what it is to be a woman in this world. Cause it is, it's pretty much impossible to be a woman in our overculture, in the rat race, to be a woman that is thriving. You can't do it in the rat race. It doesn't happen. And that's what feminism, like feminism got women in the workforce. We got our right to vote, which great. Yeah. But did it really serve us on like this deep, nourishing thriving level Uh uh-uh yeah so how are you bridging the gap exiting the rat race Mm. yeah because i just don't see how it's possible to live in the rat race running yourself ragged working um we are not meant to work five days a week nine like we're not meant to work nine to five we're not meant to work 12 hours a day like people are busting their balls for all this materialistic stuff mothers are killing themselves to have their kids in every fucking activity that they can have them in and to work a job and make six six figures a year and to put food on the table and to keep their husbands happy and people are dying slowly slowly because of it. And it just, it doesn't work. Yeah. I see so many women in practice, like on every single thing that you just listed, like on the same boat, I've totally been there. I've also shown up as that in relationship. Absolutely. Same. Killed it. Killed. 
Yeah. Yeah. I used to live in a big city and had a big mortgage and was doing it all myself and paying, you know, working my ass off and seeing a ton of fucking clients. And I was slowly killing myself. I had adrenal fucking burnout. My ovaries were almost in a pre-ovarian failure. And I literally felt like I was dying a slow, painful death. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I have to change things. So I sold my house. I bought a camper. And I'm doing the changes that I need to do to live off the land. And I I firmly believe it's pretty much impossible for women to truly thrive when they've bought into living that crazy rat race lifestyle. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think the most challenging part of this is is deciding to do that, deciding exactly. to exit the rat race. Like some some women are like so, I mean, yeah, checked off all the boxes and all those things, and it's like, how do I even? Yeah, it's it really comes down to figuring out one's priorities. What are your priorities? Are they having the fucking Gucci handbag and living a Kardashian lifestyle? and dyeing your hair and getting your nails done and all this shit? Or are your priorities buying good local meat from a farmer and, you know, getting raw milk and living this slow, nourishing lifestyle? Like, I barely have anything on my agenda anymore because my priorities are walking in the fucking forest. And I've never been happier. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. And now you have a partner. Yeah. I see. On yeah. Instagram. So it's, it's slowly all coming together in your land that you're going to live. Oh my God. I'm so, I'm so envious. I can't wait for that. That's amazing. Yeah. It, it uh, takes a lot of courage for, and I to- totally understand. It takes a lot of courage for people to get to this place, to make these kinds of decisions. But we, I really believe we are at a point in our, our world where we have to really look at what are we prioritizing here? Is going out to a restaurant and the bar and the movies and living that lifestyle really what's feeding you and nourishing your soul? Really? You know? Yes. 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 To all of this. I feel this like in every single cell in my body. I hope this is landing with everyone who's listening to like really feel that really ask yourself that. And I don't know. I just feel like a lot of the women who are here in this space, they're, they're struggling. Yeah. Oh, I, women's health is in an epidemic. Endometriosis, PCOS, polyps, fibroids, painful menstruation, fertility rates are dropping massively, massively. C-section rates are rising like crazy. Women's health is deteriorating at an incredibly fast rate. And nobody's questioning it really people are just going on birth control pill and powering through and then women hit menopause and it's like a ticking time bomb goes off and they're like what the fuck happened you know and i am a firm believer that that ticking time bomb never has to go off one of the reasons why i do the work that i do is so that when women are in their menopausal stages they can enjoy their lives. They don't have to worry about prolapse and their vaginas falling out of their bodies. They don't have to, they can enjoy beautiful, really, uh, really nourishing sex in their golden years. Women are not meant to dry up and become these brittle old weak prunes in their elderly years. 
And it all comes down to the decisions that we are making today, how we are going to experience those years when we're older. Yeah. And same thing with fertility. I think there's this this idea that we have because we've been told it that we need to get pregnant before the age of 35 because otherwise, yeah. I mean, you're done. <laughs> you missed your 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 time frame and now you just can't have babies and all that stuff. But I know there's a lot of research. I mean, I think also when you have that lifestyle in place, when you have that nutrition in place, when you're leading a nourishing life, then that could women can get pregnant in their 50s. Like, you know, totally. Yeah. A lot harder on the body for sure. Sure. It is. Um, Women can get pregnant way past 35, a hundred percent. But women also like, I really don't think a lot of people take getting pregnant as seriously as they should. Getting a pregnancy and a birth is literally the largest physical feat that the human body can do. And one of the reasons why our C-section rates are so high is, well, because the medical system is absolutely terrible and doesn't trust the female body to do what the female body is designed to do. But also, too many women are not physical enough to go through the feat of childbirth. Like, it's a marathon. It is a little literal marathon, and your physical body has to be prepared for it. And same thing for breastfeeding like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so many women are like, when can I start dieting? When can I bounce this, this body back? Exactly. And, and this is a huge detriment that our society has done to women. It's you are never getting your body back. Your body is never going back to what it was. You have just gone through the biggest opening, the biggest transformation that the human body can go through. Men's bodies do not do this. Only the female body does this, and it is never reverting back. And we are so addicted to being little girls in our society, to holding on to our maiden state, our beauty, and our youth, that there is zero reverence for the mother, for aging, for menopause, for the crone in our society. As women age, they are just thrown away. And it is horrible. Mm, Absolutely. And then, you know, going back to the weight piece, I mean, that's something that I and hundreds of billions other women have struggled with, with diet culture and wanting washboard abs and a six pack. But isn't there like a a concept to having like a, a pooch Absolutely. because it's protective for your, your reproductive organs. Absolutely. I, um, the, a six pack or flat, flat stomach is part of what is suffocating off all our organs, but especially our pelvic bowl. The w- women's bodies are meant to have this soft round belly with a good layer of fat on their belly. That fat is part of what gives energy and nutrients to our sexual organs Um, And if we don't have that, like the majority of women walking around in North America today are deeply malnourished, deeply, deeply malnourished. They're eating a bunch of food that is uh, so nutrient depleted. And full of pesticides. Full of pesticides, full of, yeah, you name it, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then their stomachs are so sucked in deeply into their body that like, the amount of blood flow that is reaching your ovaries and your uterus mm. is like just enough to keep things going, mm. not enough to keep things thriving. 
that yeah. is a huge fucking difference. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I always talk about the the concept of like surviving versus thriving. And then just going back to this idea of prioritizing what's really important in your life. Like I help women transform their lives. So they transform their lives, but like just me being there, like bringing awareness to it's not just the nutrition. It, it's not just the supplements. It's it's so much bigger than that. Whole life. Yeah, it's your whole life. If you're struggling right now, you cannot go back to the same lifestyle that you were leading because that is exactly what led you here. Exactly, exactly. And to me, that's that's t- connecting back to that feminine feminism piece. Feminism is is women being CEOs, mothers, doing it fucking all in the rat race. The feminine is women coming back into their radiance and thriving in their true cyclical slow life way. You know, it's a totally different way of being and it's, it's honoring this cyclical nature that is inherently built in our bodies. Every single week throughout our cycle, we have different energy levels and it's like, are we really honoring these energy levels at premenstrum at menstruation at our, you know, um, our follicular stage and then at ovulation, are we actually following that cycle in our bodies? That is huge. If women would just follow their cycle, we'd live in a different world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like actually resting during our periods, not going ham in the gym. Exactly. Not exercising at all when you're moving. Maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit of walking. That's it. Yeah. And changing the way you eat with each week of your cycle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's everything. Um, so I want to just touch on the whole birth piece yeah. um, with connecting to our wombs, trusting our wombs to do exactly what's supposed to do and preparing for birth, all the things, pelvic alignment, like what is that? All the things. <laughs> <laughs> So with birth, one of the reasons why a uterus in her right place, right alignment is so important is that when we become pregnant and the baby starts growing in the uterus, if the uterus is in this weird tilted position, when it comes time for birth, when the uterus starts contracting and the cervix starts effacing and dilating, if the baby's head is not um, in good engagement with the cervix, that is going to change how fast you or how well you progress through your pregnancy, uh, through your birth experience. Uterine alignment is fucking everything. We want a uterus that is front and forward so that the baby has good engagement with the cervix, so that the cervix dilates and effaces and softens and opens at her right place uh, pace. Okay. And what were the other points that you? made? <laughs> um, I know. It's just like everything. Well, like how do you even, cause you can do pelvic alignment on yourself. Yeah? yeah. Or is it? Yeah. You can do pelvic alignment work on yourself. And again, part of having a pelvic diaphragm, I don't use the terminology pelvic floor because floors don't exist in the body, but a pelvic diaphragm, which is the muscles that make up your vagina and, um, full pelvic diaphragm. Those muscles need to be able to open and lengthen and go through their full range of motion. If they're super stuck and hypertonic, how do you imagine a baby coming through the vaginal canal? You know, 
it's not going to happen. How do you imagine, like, if you don't have a relationship with your cervix, if the only time your cervix is being touched is during a pap smear by a stranger or when it's getting hit during intercourse, that is not a relationship with your cervix. The cervix is a sentient organ. It wants your touch. It wants your connection. It is not going to open the way it's supposed to open if you don't pay attention to her, right? All of these things matter. The way we move our hips matters. The spiral, the circular movement of moving our hips and our rib cage deeply supports birth, giving birth and pregnancy. Like it's all just interconnected and intertwined. The way we, um, the, this feminine wise woman way of living is what feeds giving birth is, is part of why, because we are so disconnected from this wise woman living. It's, it's part of our fertility issues today. A hundred percent. Yeah. So the dance, the breath, the connecting with our cervix, touch, touch, all of that is going to just, these organs are just naturally going to shift where they need to go. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. A hundred percent. The not living these super sedentary lifestyles where we're sitting all the fucking time. Like you cannot expect muscles to be healthy and happy when all we do is sit or all we do is run around like our, uh, like a chicken with its head cut off either. (laughs) So true. You know, cause it's, it's a one or the other. We're running around with a a chicken with its head cut off, super disassociated, just flailing through life, or we're just super lethargic and collapsed on the couch. And that's not resting either. You know, it's, it's like living this intentional life where, you know, you're thinking about where your pelvis is in space and you're breathing into your uterus a few minutes every day and spending time to connect with yourself in this really deep way. And opening is spending time to open up the tissue and work with your vaginal tissue. The more, the softer and more open your vagina is, the softer, the happier your ovaries and your uterus is going to be. You cannot disconnect them, you know? And I have never, out of all the people that I've done pelvic work with, I have never touched a vagina that was soft and open. Not once. Wow. Even after birth? Even after birth. Yeah. A lot of women after birth, their their uh, pelvic diaphragm and vagina just locks right up because women are not being cared for in the postpartum period. After you give birth, you shouldn't leave your bed for 40 days. You should not carry anything heavier than your baby. You should be doing nothing. And we do not live in a society that centers mothers. We live in a society that says, figure it the fuck out, mom. Do it all yourself. And women are, are super, super depleted and suffering because of that. The postpartum period is the most powerful period in a woman's life to reverse deep imbalances within the body because she has been blown so wide open. Because we do not honor those that postpartum period, women are not healing these deep imbalances. These deep imbalances are getting worse and worse. Yeah. Especially in the States. Like, you guys don't have maternity leave it's insane what is it in Canada we have a year wow yeah and and paternity leave too wow yeah that's amazing yeah people always ask me why won't you move to the states that's I why the fuck would I if I want to have children like that year-long maternity leave is huge 
Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I've never, I didn't know that about Canada. I do know that they put vitamin D in their milk. Yeah, it's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Don't drink the milk um, from the store. Yeah. Um, One of my mentors says, you want to look at the health of a society, look at the health of the mothers. Mothers in Canada and the U.S. are not healthy and thriving for the most part. Yeah. Powerful stuff, Carly. I love your work and I'm just... I'm so in awe of it. I mean, this has even led me to um, pursue work with Tammy Lynn Kent. Great. Yeah. I'm just like, I want to learn more. This is awesome. Um, Before we wrap up, I want to ask you a question. What has been the most transformative shift that you have made in your life thus far? There's a lot. Um, (laughs) But moving moving to the forest has been the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. We are not meant to live on city grids. Mm, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can everyone keep up with you? What's coming up for you? Yeah, my Instagram is Carly Ray, C-A-R-L-Y-R-A-E. And my website's just going through a whole new redo right now. But my Instagram is like the easiest place to find my info about Nectar, my three-hour vulva and vagina mapping class or flesh and blood, which is a year long container where I guide people through self body work of their whole body. We do anal work, cervical work, vulva, vagina, uterine work, belly, breast, mouth, everything. Beautiful. Well, I will link everything and all the books that you mentioned inside of the episode. Thank you so much for coming on and thanks to everyone listening until next time. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. If the episode resonated with you, feel free to share it with a friend and give the podcast a five-star review and rating as this allows us to grow and continue having incredible guests on the show. Thank you so much for your support. Until next time.